decoded. Welcome to Founder Tech Decoding. I'm delighted to have with me Adam Barlow from Landscape. I wanted to talk to Adam um, very early on in the series because more than anyone I can think of, Landscape have been pioneering this space of uh, Founder Tech for a couple of years now. Um, I think they took on some of the early challenges and, and, and won some of the early victories, and particularly about sort of levering out, leveling out the asymmetry between founders and investors and why that exists in the relationship. Does that add value to that relationship? And how fundamentally increasing the transparency between that relationship really is better for everybody involved. Um, and so Adam, I think, was the second hire of Landscape. Is that correct, Adam? Uh, no, first full-time hire, yeah. First full-time hire. Yeah, I've seen yeah, that yeah. journey, you know, all through through its its arc to where they currently sit, where, as I say, I think they are leaders uh, in this emerging founder tech space. So, Adam, welcome to the podcast. And Thanks for having delighted me. To have, delighted to have you. Um, you're, uh, you're based in Berlin. and that, Has that been always the case since you've been working for Landscape? It has, yeah. I mean, actually, it's been the case for my entire time within the the, the startup ecosystem. Um, I moved out here about two and a half years ago, uh, having gone on a little founding journey myself in the UK. Um, but that was in more of like an FMCG uh, space rather than the startup ecosystem. And then I moved out to Berlin, having then sold my company uh, to join Entrepreneur First. And that was like my first taster of uh, venture, of startups, of founders, um, and kind of journey started from that point onwards so when um i'm assuming it was joe recruited you what what was the pitch what was the and, and where, what give us the year the date if you can and what was the original pitch that he said to you what that he was trying to achieve yeah so the i was intro to joe in december of 2020 um i was looking for an exit from entrepreneur first and we had a mutual friend that introduced us. Um, and Joe had very much just been building Landscape as a, a no-code MVP to test the waters and see if there was any going to be any potential traction there. Um, the position he was hiring for, I think if I remember correctly, was um, something along the lines of like a growth marketer. But it quickly became apparent to us both. And I guess this would be the case with any sort of first hire or even even first multiple hires is that the role was going to be much more generalist in scope and I would be wearing all sorts of hats and indeed that was the case for both of us we were doing everything from marketing um, tech accountancy you name it we were kind of doing trying to to have our fingers in all the pies um, his pitch to me in regards to what landscape was um it, you know, looking back, actually, it's, it's remarkable how, how different it would be now if it was to pitch it to, to anyone we're hiring today. But it was very much focused around trying to build a, a review platform. And at the time, it was uh, titled or kind of um, had the catchphrase of a glass door for VCs, mm-hmm. whereby through his experience, he realized that there were a lot of really bad investor interactions out there. And yet there was no real way of one allowing other people and other founders to to be aware of these interactions and thereby avoid them themselves, saving time and money and probably like a mental anguish. Um, 
but also no tool or platform or database or resource that would hold investors accountable um, and provide some sort of incentive other than just like a personal incentive to improve their investor in behavior or improve their founder interactions uh, and make an effort to improve the fundraising process processes for all parties involved. Um, and so the kind of the pitch centered around transparency, accountability, and like leveling the playing field. And I think those are very much still uh, principles that we are incorporating and kind of trying to embody on a daily basis within whatever we're doing now uh, with Landscape, be it OpenScout or be it a review platform or the anonymous founders community. Um, but big kind of overarching picture was about, okay, I want to improve the the ecosystem more generally. I want to build out a suite of tools and products that help founders and investors alike, be it through fundraising, be it through helping them pitch or whatever it might be, but just building out a whole load of useful tools um, that would just improve the ecosystem as a whole um, overall. And did that, when he approached you, did that feel like a radical thought or did you actually jump on board because it felt like just a logical next step? I would say it was the latter. I think like with all great ideas and great companies, it's they're usually very obvious when you hear them um, and you're like, okay, well, why hasn't this been done before? They sound like a really obvious idea that would be incredibly successful if someone could pull it off and do it uh, effectively. So it very much was like, well, yeah, sure, this is this course makes sense. I don't know why this doesn't exist already. Um, and uh, yeah, as I said, I think that's that's the case with a lot of really great products and companies is that it's usually being able to identify something that is staring you right in the face, but for some reason or another, no one else has sort of leaped on that, that opportunity of trying to, to build something around it. So if we look at sort of what we call like the source code, so the underlying assumptions of, of this, really transparency comes up again and again, right? And, and transparency and how that flows through between a founder and an investor uh, when they're trying to either, you know, when the founder's trying to attract that investor's attention or then engage with them. What, why do you think that transparency has historically been sort of murky and and um, and, and and in the system? Like what, what, what's going on there? And um, and what happens when you, you sort of increase the transparency? I mean, not to try and get too philosophical uh, and ideological, but I think that a lot of dishonesty and uh, people who are disingenuine and people who lack transparency just comes from a case of, you know, it's a I win, you lose, dog eat dog world. Um, and it's a zero sum game of if, 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 if I'm going to win, you need to lose. And I think that there's a fear that if you're transparent, that you're going to get taken advantage of. And um, I, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. Um, I think though that, once that transparency increases, um, you build a lot of trust. People start working far more effectively. Uh, they don't start wasting energy on um, topics or issues that don't really provide any value. Um, and I think when anyone feels comfortable within any sort of working relationship, be it with an investor, be it with your boss, be it with a colleague, when there's transparency over how a process is run and everyone has full inf fully informed is fully informed and is aware of how how things are done and what the relationship is like then 
it's much easier to, to work effectively. I, I mean, I can't really provide a great answer to that, to be honest. Um, it's a really difficult question to answer because I think obviously it will come down to individual individual preferences. But I also think that, you know, everyone sort of goes with the herd. So even if you, it's a herd mentality. So even if you want to be transparent in your in your working practices, if everyone else around you is being opaque or, yeah, like um, hiding things from you, then you, you feel ob- obligated to, to do the same. Otherwise, you feel like you're going to be losing out and being taken advantage of in some way. So, so let me let me ask it a different way, I th- which I think we both find more interesting, is that actually what, what's going on here is, is that you've got a legacy of a system that essentially has bugs in it, right? Like they're, 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 There are things that are, don't behave very well, and they are the legacy of the way these things were designed, even though obviously you know, in the last 20 years, everything in tech has radically iterated and changed. Mm. In some ways, the, the, the experience between the founder and the investor isn't much difference between, say, if you were a founder in the 90s and the pitch deck was, the, was the, mm. what you were mm. using. So I think a lot of the transparency is um, it's quite interesting is that as we had more and more tools that have created more transparency, actually, ironically, in the tech investment space, we have a lot of legacy kind of bugs that, that aren't that are, mm-hmm. that are kind of causing that transparency to be hindered in some way. And that actually, the opportunity here is not to fix those bugs, but actually to uh, uh, you know just completely outmaneuver them and redesign a lot of these things. That does that does that sort of land in terms of kind of you know your your outlook and perspective on it. And certainly in terms of a reluctance to become more transparent, it's probably very much tied in. Yeah, like you said, um, these older ways of working that have created these very unequal relationships and and power dynamics. And those who find themselves in a position of power uh, are reluctant to let go. I mean, if we were to take that argument and to take that belief, I think that if you look at the rise of something that would kind of um, contribute to, to suggesting that's true, is that if you look at the rise of new investors um, who haven't been created in a period where there was a lot of unequal power dynamics, um, these new investors are being much more transparent and uh, op- uh, and honest and open with how they work and um, I think that is probably a reflection of the fact that we now do live in a very much like a digital age where information is extremely accessible and shareable and people aren't afraid to, to speak out. And you also have the benefit of uh, anonymous platforms online, which allow people to speak uh, openly without fear of like some retribution or kind of kickback. So um, I think if, yeah, if we were to if we were to take that line of thought that, yeah, there are these kind of entrenched interests that are reluctant to, to lose whole, lose their power, then... Um, something that would contribute to that is a lot of the new investors we've seen today are um, being transparent um, just as a natural uh, part of their growth and their journey. So let's 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 focus on both. That's really interesting. So so can, if you could elaborate a little bit more on the kind of like these these new variables, the rise of these new investors, just give us a bit more color and context for that. And then I guess what you're saying is that those investors have um, so as a way they function are just used to using tools that are transparent. So when you merge the tool two, you get a different kind of animal, as it were. Is that would you could you kind of give us some more color and context to that? I mean, they kind of, they're called you know. I guess we're talking about sort of the rise of solo capitalists. The rise of uh, tier two VCs is that kind of the? Do you think those? Yeah, are, and those I guess are... you also have the rise of um, like syndicates that usually are made made up of a bunch of um, founders or people with previous investment or founding experience. Um, yeah. In a way, what we're talking about is like you could 
you could focus on fixing the current system, right, and kind of iterating that and trying to make that more transparent and level out the relationship between the founder and investor using the existing system. Or you could create a new script and try and reinvent it. And then where does that end up? Does that end up in a much more exciting place? And what does that exciting place look like? Does it, does it look like not just a more equitable place, but where better deals are being done in terms of backing the right founders at the right time, fixing the right problems? Like the, the opportunity to re-engineer, I think is one I really want to explore and I think is fundamental to this. It feels like the real opportunity rather than just sort of iterating the past, actually creating new scripts around the future. What would that future possibly look like, you know, if we were to kind of just riff for a minute or two? Like if we were sitting here and all of this took place and played out, in five years' time, what might be the, the different, pardon the pun, as it were, landscape of that? You know, like what, what, what might that look like, you know, in terms of, of where from where we are now to in five years' time? Yeah, I think it, it it'd be a case of equal access and opportunity. Like if you have the set, if you have the skill set and you have the ability to um, identify good investment opportunities, um, then there's nothing stopping you from being able to launch your own fund or to create your own kind of investment vehicle to invest in the startups you come across. Um, like as I said before, we live in this age where information is easily accessible, and you no longer have to go to university or have a long career in one space to, to, to get to a position of influence or, or power. You, you now have all that information basically accessible to you through a, key, a keyboard uh, and a screen. So I think that in five years time, I think I'd like to think that you're seeing a number of players. Um, and in this particular case, I think it's individuals. So like, as you mentioned before, like the solar capitalist who through, uh, newfound abilities and um, uh, opportunities to build a track record of being able to recommend good deals to other investors or um, share that deal flow with investors um, and then being able to have a platform in which they can raise funding themselves, you then start to see um, a kind of a challenge to these big players that exist, like the institutional investors, investors, um, and being challenged by lots of individuals and kind of, um, yeah, the solar capitalists who can, through the tools that are being created, start creating their own investment funds. Yeah, and, and I think one of the other scripts that emerges from, from this is that um, you don't have to talk about impact investing or diversity um, in order for that to happen in this in this new world, because if you're backing the right founder at the right time, no matter where they are, you know, and their ability to solve that problem, that immediately includes everyone. If you see what I mean, if the, if the technology and the way and the way that you're being connected to opportunity, if a fa if let's say investor A is looking to solve problem B, then wherever uh, founder C is that they want to, wherever they may be, is irrelevant. They just they they are able to connect and create a through line there. And I think that is radically different rather than waiting for things to come to them and then using all sort of filtering um, um, techniques um, and network effects. You actually get to engage with the problem and the person behind that problem re reprograms things. I think it changes the, the fundamental nature of what's been going on. Yeah, I think there's something you said there that was interesting that made me think of something. You said that investor A wants to solve a problem or wants to solve problem B. Yeah. I think that traditionally... Um, institutional investors haven't 
for the most part, really cared about, you know, solving particular problems. They're just looking for, okay, they might have an investment thesis that focuses around a particular vertical, such as biotech or edtech, or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. But their focus has just been on, you know, returns on investment. You know, can, it, can, it, can their investment in a startup return their fund? And any sort of personal motivations to invest in a startup have typically been the purview of like a kind of an angel investor who might tend to invest based on more of like kind of personal um, passions or interests. Um, so I don't know what the, the the future would look like in that regard, but I would I would sort of hesitate to make a guess and a prediction that if we do see the rise of the the kind of the more solo capitalist type investor, you will see a move towards more a greater number of investments that I mean obviously are still made with uh, a return of investment. Uh, return on investment in mind because that's, that's ultimately the, the ga- game of investment isn't it but um it'll be less about okay i'm just going to invest in any startup that's going to provide the greatest return on investment and more i'm going to invest in a startup that has either personal uh, weight to, to my interests and what i want to see done with the world and where i want to see that money go um and just more generally, you know, what's going to be uh, of benefit to the world? Is this going to kind of add value um, in a kind of environmental way, sustainable way, moral, ethical way? Or is this just going to kind of be destructive um, and consumptive? So I think that, yeah, maybe the the driving motivations behind investment will, will also change. Um, and as I said, as, as people start to invest through more personal reasons um, and using that kind of in tandem with, how, okay, where can I invest pers- where, where I, I think is personally appealing, but also generate that return investment rather than purely being uh, motivated and driven by, okay, what's going to bring me that greatest return investment? Yeah, that, that's, that's super interesting. Um, be- before before we move on to sort of what you're doing specifically with, with Landscape and OpenScale, um, let's, let's just talk about maybe the big goal here, um, taking everything we've said is that, you know, currently the, and I, I've never found the actual data that corroborates this, but the nine out of 10 failure rate um, is, is assumed across, I think globally as, as like, you know, the, 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 the base assumption around how the whole space operates, which is an incredibly wasteful statistic. It actually mirrors things in um, like music and, um, and book publishing and film is the same kind of ratio. But if, if what we've said is that actually the system at the moment is designed in a slightly archaic way, it's running off almost like the wrong grid, maybe there's a chance to to chip away at that um, and kind of get that down to something maybe more reasonable, six to seven out of ten um, failing. There's still obviously going to be failure. And that, I think, combined with what we are just talking about, the ability to direct capital more purposefully rather than being purpose-driven, being direct, you know, more purposefully um, mirroring intent with kind of where, where you engage. I think there is something profound in that. Uh, and I think if you actually then do the numbers of what that shift could could represent, take take one thing alone, which may be on just founder well-being. If you, if you, if you bring that failure stat down and you start getting the right people backing the right, you know, the right problems, I would make a bet that you start to get a much, much better kind of healthier ecosystem in general that founders can live in and, and their well-being can thrive in. So I think that just just to kind of touch on that before we get to the specifics of what what, what you're involving and where you're going, would well, it be interesting in your view on that? I think, to be honest, an investor doesn't really care uh, at the moment about that like nine out of 10 failure rate. All they care yeah. about is like, what is their hit rate? Um, yeah. Like, 
it's not going to be a nine out of ten failure rate for them. I, I doubt. So, do, do you, does it come up at all in your convers- internal conversations? Like, what's the metric that you're using? Maybe it's a better way of asking the question, and we can move on to the specifics. Yeah. What's the metrics that you're using to say actually we're having an effect here? Like what? That maybe that's a better better question. So well, we've actually seen the shift from this to this. What, what? What? If you can share those, what? What are the? Yeah, well, we're not trying. So at Landscape as a company isn't trying to necessarily help um, founders. Well, yes, we are trying to help founders succeed but not by helping them come up with the right idea, not helping them ideate. It's more about providing them with the tools that should they want to fundraise, should they want to um, get advice from other founders, that it's it's more of like a holistical approach rather than like a specific, um, we're going to help you formulate your idea, we're going to help you um, pivot and figure out your market size. Like that's very like on the ground, I think, um, thinking that we're not we're not trying to do i think what we're trying to do is like say that okay if you have a good startup we will be able to we're gonna we've got a bunch of tools that can help you um capitalize on that good idea um i think in terms of metrics that we would use are we actually helping startups succeed or not is okay what's the likelihood let's say when we launch open scout what's the likelihood that a startup scout on an open scout is going to receive funding um and how quickly they're going to receive that funding um versus if they weren't on open scout um our goal isn't to help founders um come up with the right idea i think that's down to a founder um and it's just about providing tools and features and resources so that uh, when a founder is sitting on an idea that they that, that it's likely to, to do well then they have the ability to to do that quickly open scout essentially is is a scout as a service platform, like a marketplace, as it were, between investors and scouts. Um, and essentially, we, we, we knew for a long time that there are a lot of individuals out there who had access to, to great deal flow. Um, but for some reason or another, uh, were very limited in who they could share that deal flow with. Um, and um, we're not really getting any kickback from, from that deal flow. So they were just sharing it with like friends or kind of uh, people within their own networks. And we're also very aware that despite getting a lot of cold inbound and doing their own outbound and due diligence processes, investors were somewhat limited in, in the quality of deal flow they were getting. Um, I think a, a lot of any investor will tell you that they get a lot of inbound from startups that just either are not of interest to them, they don't fit their investment thesis or yeah. they don't have the right metrics or whatever it might be to, 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 to generate another conversation or an investment. So I think that there is definitely there was lacking a any sort of um, product or tool or anything that kind of would allow uh, startups to be filtered in such a way that an investor could just go to to the database or resource and say, okay, the, we know that the, the startups we're going to see here have been vetted in some way, shape or shape or form. That means that they're going to be of a high quality um, and save us a lot of time having to sift out all the noise. So. Um, our goal with Open Scout was essentially to allow these individuals with access to, to deal flow to, to share that deal flow with hundreds of investors. So, I mean, your traditional scouting program, you are typically scouting for one investor um, and the, the hit rate of that investor then making an investment in the startup you scout is extremely low. And so, so we're basically saying, well, why scout for one fund when you can scout for hundreds? Um, and the benefit, obviously, to investors is that as we've vetted and um, assessed the scouts that are coming onto the platform um, very kind of carefully and making sure they're of a high quality and they have a, already have somewhat of an existing track record or can prove that they are 
um, well placed within the ecosystem to identify good deals and um, have a network in which they can do that with. Um, that provides like a kind of a, a peace of mind to an investor that, okay, I think we come onto the OpenScout platform. We're not just going to be bombarded with hundreds of startups that are just no use or interest to us at all. Um, and so saving both both the investor time. Um, and so I guess our goal with OpenScout is to increase that accessibility to, 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 to startups. I think once you get um, scouted on, on the platform, you're not only getting access to hundreds of investors, but um, you're almost getting that kind of stamp of approval. So um, you could easily email 100 investors yourself and they that would be the equivalent of getting access to 100 investors. But the investor has no reason to has no good reason to think you're a good quality startup. And so yeah. it's likely to ignore ignore your email if there's not something that immediately stands out. Whereas on OpenScout, you have that like verification that is likely to result in uh, a positive engagement with an investor than not um and then the investor you you know you get the opportunity to to have access to startups that otherwise you'd you'd not have the opportunity to particularly within uh, a space that might not typically fit your investment thesis and how does that commercially work so if you're a, or a scout or an investor what's the what's the what's the how, how does that work yeah, the, the commercial framework for that so, I mean, the onboarding process for a scout and a startup is a scout would apply to Open Scout um, through the application form. Um, and actually, both individuals and organizations can apply to be scouts. So, when we first started building Open Scout, we had a few, we had quite a few people inbound us, organizations inbound to say, look, we're an accelerator, we're an incubator, or we are a company which has our own sort of investor readiness score algorithms. We would like to scout as an organization. Um, because I think with with those sort of uh, in case, use cases, it, it's beneficial to the accelerator to to scout a company because they say, well, okay, we're, we've invested in this or we've invested yeah. resources, time or whatever, yeah. and it's likely to increase the chances of our startup succeeding if they get investment from the platform. So we you can apply as both an organization and an individual. Um, we'll ask a number of questions and uh, ask you to kind of provide some information about yourself and your your track record or your history within the Starkid ecosystem. We'll assess that application, and then if we want to onboard you as a, a scout, we we kind of will we send out an email and get you onboarded, um, and then we kind of have faith that the scout then will s scout high quality startups to the platform with little oversight from from ourselves. Um, we are obviously then keeping an eye on the platform itself to make sure that the startups that are submitted are in keeping with what we, we originally anticipated and expected the start the scout to, to, to upload onto the platform. And if we deem that the, the, the startups that they are uploading are of a poor quality, we are going to very much take action on that, um, and warn the, 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 the scout and if, if needed, take them off the platform. Yep. And then in terms of investors, um, being onboarded, any investor can apply to be on the platform. Um, they obviously have to sign like terms of use agreement to, to make sure that they agree to pay the scout a success fee if they invest in a startup that the scout scouts on the platform. But the one of the key things we wanted to ensure with the platform is that the investor can set their success fee. So um, we've had investors saying, well, we'll invest anywhere between 5K to 50K for a successful deal. Um, yeah. And the reason we're wanting to kind of keep that in, in, in the um in how we're building OpenSCAT is just to allow, uh, kind of in ensure that investors will honor that that kind of success fee. Um, and and then uh, as an investor, they can they can view all the scouts on the platform. They can request to follow a scout's deal flow. Um, 
so they're notified of when a scout um, uploads a, a new startup to the platform and then any startup that they see that they want to be uh, engaged with, they can request to have an introduction or request to see the pitch deck of that startup. Um, and we wanted to keep the control um, of any investor interactions with the, with the scout um, purely because, you know, this is being built on the back of an in, uh, investor review platform. And we know that there are a lot of bad investors out there. And so we want st startups and we want scouts to have control over um, who the, the startup interacts with so that if there isn't a bad investor out there, um, the startup isn't going to suffer from any interactions with them. Um, and that's, yeah, I think that's pretty much. And, and last question, um, we'll just wrap up is there is um is does that interface with landscapes sort of re reviews does that so can you see if um, can can the scout see the investors reviews on landscape is it, I, I mean yeah i mean question. obviously they could go onto the landscape review platform and, and search the investor's name it's not going to be directly integrated within the the open scout platform per se right um but i think the very nature that this open scout is being built on the back of an investor reputation platform is we hope and expect to to increase the accountability um and encourage good investor behavior um which is beneficial to, to all parties involved i just want to give you a piece of feedback i was speaking to a founder literally yesterday who said that uh, your slack channel was the most valuable thing that they had oh, in their whole armory Literally, oh, said this. There's all the things there is. That's what he's, he said. You should really talk to uh, talk to these guys. I said, yeah, that's a good idea. We're doing that tomorrow. So, so um, what, what we're trying to wrap up, wrap up on is like uh, like APIs. So, taking this kind of notion of founder tech, um, other things in the space. It doesn't just have to be a tech platform. It could be books. It could be a talk. It could be a podcast. It could be other things that you've seen in the space that we can put in the show notes. Other people can kind of um, plug into. Um, as kind of APIs that, that you think are valuable would be really great. Just a, f a few that. that uh, yeah, that I think the um, uh, the generalist did a great podcast on the future of solo capitalists, um, and Joe actually suggested that to the landscape team because um, the idea of a solo capitalist and providing individuals with um, the the tools needed to launch their own like investment fund is very much something that is in the the roadmap of Open Scout, and yeah. saying that if you can build a good track record through uh, scouting good startups, then what's to stop you from launching your own fund um, and investing that as you see fit? So I think the the future of solo capitalists is the episode title, uh, and I think it's the generalist is the podcast show. With all these things, be it the be it the anonymous founders Slack community, be it the review platform, be it investor league tables, leaderboards that we released, be it Open Scout, it's all about the notion. I think that information is out there. It's it's just about how do you harness it and provide a way that people can easily access it. So anonymous founders community, there is thousands and thousands of messages on that board on that community from the knowledge that founders have gained through their own journey that just hasn't really had the opportunity or the right space in which to be shared and and talked about um until we created an on the online founder slack community it's the same with the review platform yeah there are hundreds of thousands of investor interactions on a yearly basis on a yearly basis between investors and founders there just hasn't yet been uh, a place in which those interactions can be shared in a way that people feel comfortable sharing them um, until the landscape was launched. And the same with Open Scout is that there is a lot of information out there between people who come across great deals. There just yet has been 
you know, there has yet to have been a platform or space in which those deals can be shared in an efficacious way that's beneficial to all parties involved until OpenScout. So I think that the the theme, as I said before, with all of like what we're trying to build, all the products and tools and features that we're trying to build with the landscape is about just increasing this accessibility to, to information, like leveling the playing field and like bringing everyone up to the same sort of starting point as it were, so that everyone's tries to start from as equal as a position as possible and has as equal chances of succeeding. Um, and there isn't some sort of like privileged access to a certain few um, that has so typically characterized so much of what we kind of see in society nowadays. Um, and just, yeah, just trying to, just trying to help, to help, help everyone really help the founders in particular. I think that's a brilliant place to stop and a brilliant summary of kind of the opportunity. And I think what everybody's motivated by is, is exactly as you've just sort of wrapped up. So thank you so much for your time. No, thanks, um, yeah, thanks, Really, for really appreciate it. And, and uh, yeah, um, thank you.